Okay, um, I want to pray and then we can look at our passage um, and move on. Let, let's turn our hearts to God in prayer. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we are thankful for the Scripture. We're thankful for Your Holy Spirit and for how uh, Your Spirit and Your Word work together to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, and sanctify us into the likeness of Jesus Christ more and more. Father, we pray that You would do no less than that this day, that we would leave transformed a little bit more uh, because of having beheld the beauty and the glory of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we, we need Your Spirit to open up uh, the Scripture and to open up our hearts and our minds and to enable us to follow uh, Jesus. And so we pray that You would do that for Your glory and for Your praise. Please give each of us uh, humility to receive what You say. And um, we ask this for Your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as you know, we're in the middle of a short mini-series on um, standing firm in the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And uh, we wanted to look just for a few weeks at some passages in uh, the books of First and Second Peter and talk about uh, what it's like to follow Jesus and stand firm, and particularly in the midst of suffering because that's uh, the people, the audience that uh, Peter had in mind when he wrote this letter. He was writing uh, predominantly to Jewish Christians who had been dispersed. They had been dispersed because of a, the threat of persecution, the threat of suffering coming primarily from uh, their own countrymen who had not accepted Jesus Christ. And uh, he gives them some words from, from God uh, that we also can learn from. And so this morning I want to talk just a little bit about gospel growth. Gospel growth. Growth is usually a good thing, unless it's a tumor or some other kind of virus. Uh, growth is a good thing. When you plant seeds out in your garden and you see them growing, it gives you excitement. When you have children and you see them growing, it gives you excitement. If you work for a financial, some sort of financial outfit, and when you see growth in numbers, um, it makes people excited. And the growth we want to talk about today is gospel growth. Uh, probably one of the most important growths that we could ever think about is growing in the gospel, growing into the salvation that God brought through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at just three subjects here. Because of the gospel, we must put our sins away. Because of the gospel, we must put on our Savior's ways. And because of the gospel, we must put in mind that the Lord is kind. And um, so let's look at the passage. I'm only going to read a few verses. We'll uh, speak on a few verses and we'll talk about some others as well. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 
like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is kind. This uh, so, as the first word here in, in chapter 2, is uh, really, in, in the Greek, it's a word that means therefore. Uh, therefore, and so it uh, compels us to look backwards through the passage um, just in the immediate context at verse uh, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Having purified is a, is a word that in its original context means something that's happened to you in the past that still has present impact. And it is referring to how at your conversion, a process of sanctification began when you got converted. When you came to Jesus, when you walked away uh, decidedly from sin, and said, I want to come to Jesus, I want to be washed, I want to be cleansed, I want to be made new, that a process of sanctification began on that day. And uh, it began by you responding to the grace of God. Uh, it says um, early on in this, in this uh, letter that you were ransomed. Uh, you were ransomed uh, by Jesus Christ. Jesus paid for you with his precious blood. He didn't use silver and gold because if you acquired enough of that, you could have bought yourself. And so he paid for you with something far more precious than silver and gold with his own life blood. The author of life spilled his blood as a payment in order that he might have you as himself, restore you to himself. And so you have been uh, bought with something that is priceless, and um, you were ransomed from your, from your former ways, your ways you inherited from your forefathers, futile ways. It says this in verse 18 of chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish and spot. And, um, and because of that, uh, ransom because you were delivered by way of payment, uh, you purified your souls, you responded to that grace that God Himself would get up on a cross and be crucified for your sin, for your rebellion, for your perversion, for your iniquity, that Jesus would give up His life, that that, that sort of action uh, should compel a certain type of lifestyle a lifestyle of response to grace. And that's what a life of obedience is. Obedience is just saying, I love Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so when we obey Jesus, we're, we're simply expressing love for Him, devotion for Him, dedication for Him. We're responding to the love that He first gave to us. And, and the sense here in verse 22 of chapter 1 is that uh, you obey the truth, you obey this call to be holy, this call to respond to grace until there is a felt love in your heart for God's people. The word love there is the word Philadelphia. It's the word brotherly love. 
that you would, that you would so dedicate yourself to following Jesus that there would be a, a sincere brotherly love in your heart for God's people. And then he says, love one another, which is the word agape, which speaks more of a self-sacrificing, a, a, a self-giving up love, willing to lay your life down for, for others. The same love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. And it says, love people earnestly from a pure heart uh, since you have been born again. And it talks about how we were born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And the imperishable seed is the Word of God. And he talks about how uh, all flesh is like grass, all of its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. One thing you can say, one thing you can guarantee for people is that we're all going to fade and fall away one day. Everybody has to die. We all do. Nobody gets out of the world alive. And so we're originally wrought with this perishable seed. But then God has come along through the Gospel and He has given us new birth through an imperishable seed, the Word of God. And that Word is the Gospel. As you look at verse, the end of verse 25, it says, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So the Word of God is seen as the Gospel. It's good news. It's good news about what God has done through His Son, by His Spirit, for His glory, and for your salvation. It's good news. And because of that Gospel that has come to you, uh, one of the ways that we respond to God is by being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession who God has, has called out of darkness into His marvelous light and we are people who are set aside to proclaim how excellent our God is. That's one of the birthrights of a child of God, of a follower of Jesus, is to declare to the world how excellent is our God. How excellent is the majesty and the worth, the weightiness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order to get to that point, and that's one of the large points in, in Peter's letter, uh, you see that, that Peter often talks about how we are to not only grow in our character, but we are to grow in sharing the Gospel. We see that in chapter 3, when it calls us to set apart and honor Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone for why we hope in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, uh, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so there's much said in the letter about bearing witness to the Gospel, bearing witness to the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Gospel growth. But that requires something from us. It requires a response to the Gospel in our personal lives. And you see that in the first part of chapter 2, where it says, therefore, put away 
certain things. And that therefore, again, points to the Gospel. Why on earth would you put away sin in your life? It's because of the Gospel. It's because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's because of the blood that was spilled and the righteousness that was given to you. That in order to meet God, you and I have to be perfectly righteous and flawless. Nobody can meet God with sin and dirty garments, so to speak. We must be flawless to meet God. And none of us is flawless. Nobody's perfect. Everybody sins. But the beauty of the Gospel is that Jesus Christ gives you His record of obedience. Jesus switches records with you. He says, look, you come to Me and give Me your imperfect record of disobedience. And I will switch and give you My perfect record of obedience. So that you can be presented faultless before God's presence with exceeding great joy. And we all have a past. We all have a record of sin. And Jesus says, come to Me, come to the cross, and I will, I will bathe you in the blood that He spilled out of His body. That's actually the word that's used in Titus chapter 3, that He will bathe us in His blood until we're washed clean from our sin, from every single spot. He'll wash us. And with that in mind, we, we are, we are in, with that Gospel in mind, that good news that was preached to you, uh, Peter says here to put away all malice, which is a word that means evil, as you know. Put away all deceit, deception, lying, half-truths. Put these things away. Put away hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an actor on a stage. Last week I spoke with John and Christine, and uh, John is reading from a Finnish translation of the Bible, and the way they've translated the word uh, hypocrisy is don't be gold-plated. Don't be gold-plated. Which I thought was a very interesting and very powerful way of putting things, that you put some kind of cheap metal that's heavy and weighty, and then you just plate it with gold to make it look like it's more than it actually is. And so, so the writer here calls us not to be plated with gold, to be real. You want to be gold, be solid gold. Um, 24 carat. You understand what I'm saying? Um, and it says to put these things away. Put, away. put away envy, jealousy. And connect it with envy is slander. Blasphemy, speaking ill of another person. And it doesn't necessarily say to put this away with respect to God's people. It says to put these things away with respect to all people. That Christians ought to be the type of people who don't go around bad-mouthing other people, slandering other people. They're not the type of people who go around with insincerity, pretending to be more than they actually are. They're not people who envy because they know they have a Father in Heaven who owns the whole universe and owns everything. And whatever you need, God will provide for you according to His riches and glory in Jesus Christ. I often say to parents of a thank thankless child, what do you give a child who is ungrateful on their birthday? You give them a list of what you gave them last year. <laughs> Teach them how to be thankful. I can remember one year my parents gave me a light 
for my birthday and that was all. And I was like, where's the rest? And they said, we think you need to walk in the light more. <laughs> so we gave you something. And uh, so that was, uh, I'll tell you, Frank and Ada didn't play, man. They, they sock it right to you. Um, but, but also this deceit. Sometimes uh, you find deceit, unfortunately, in the body of Christ. And Peter has to, to rebuke and has to call us not to be deceitful people. Um, not to stretch the truth, to be honest, to be transparent, uh, to be open, to be vulnerable, uh, to say things just the way they are. Deceit is an operation of the devil. The devil is a father of lies. That's, all, that's the only language he speaks. That's his mother tongue, so to speak, is deceit. And Peter wants to move us as far away from satanic behavior as possible particularly with our mouths. You often, you ever, you ever think about, I, I think about this sometimes, but do you ever think about, with respect to yourselves, as I think with respect to myself, how often your mouth has got you into trouble? You ever think about that? If I had a dime, you know what I used to say, if I had a dime for every time I misspoke, I wouldn't need to work. I'd be a millionaire. Uh, and then it talks about malice is evil. Just evil. And, and the reason why Peter brings this up is because the people are suffering. The people are suffering. He tells them uh, further on in, um, in chapter 2, it, he's, he's, he's referencing Jesus as, as the example, obviously, to follow. And, and he talks about in verse uh, uh, 22 of chapter 2, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And in order for there to be gospel growth, these sort of things have to be moved out of our life. They have to be repented of. How many times that, that someone has, has brought suffering on you and, and you wanted to give them a piece of your mind? You, you thought of threatening them and you just played it out in your head what you could do to them. What kind of suffering you could bring back on their head. And, and, and Peter says that you and I should have nothing of that at all. That when Jesus suffered, he did not threaten. When he was on the cross, he could have said, wait till I get down from the cross. Wait till I get these nails out of my hand. I know where you live. In fact, I know everything. I know where all y'all live. I'm going to come after you. It's not what Jesus did, but when he was on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't see the whole picture. And in like manner, Jesus said to his apostles uh, when he was on earth, and it's recorded in, in uh, the Gospel according to Luke, uh, chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse uh, 27. Uh, Jesus says to his people, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Well, that's enough to make you stop right there. Love your enemies. But you feel no affection for them. Because love is beyond affection. Love is an active demonstration of kindness towards someone. Not, it doesn't have anything to do with the affection you feel for them at the moment. But it's an act of love. It's an act of kindness. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. 
Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And the tunic was something that was kept right next to uh, the skin. And so it's, it's saying that there's a willingness to even be brought to shame for the name of Jesus and for the gain and the growth of the Gospel. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's hard to do. You need the Holy Spirit to live that way. Because often it is the case that we want to treat people the way they treated us. Well, you did it to me, I'm going to do it to you. But Jesus says, no, do unto others the same way you want them to do unto you. And it takes God, it takes the Holy Spirit, it takes power, the power of the Gospel to live that way. He goes on to say in that ch chapter in, in, uh, in uh, Luke 6, he, he concludes by how, how your Father in Heaven is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so he's comes, he comes to the conclusion, be merciful even as your Father in Heaven is merciful. And so what, what Peter is saying is that if you have, if you have, uh, if you flip this passage on its head in verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you have tasted the goodness of the Lord, if, if you have felt the, the power of the Gospel in your life, that, that God Himself uh, laid down His life and poured out His blood for your sin and your rebellion, when you were an enemy, right? When you were a sinner, when you were ungodly, when you were dead in transgressions and sins and loving it, when you were, when you were uh, uh, flooding yourself with all kinds of, 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 of sinful living and immoral living, it was at that point that God was reaching out to you and showing kindness and showing love. The wages of sin is death. And God could have stopped us in our sin by killing us on the spot and judging us and condemning us forever. But, but, but in spite of us, in spite of our sin, God reached out with compassion, with love, with grace, with mercy, with favor, and He touched our lives through the Gospel. And if that's how God treated us, and, and we've sinned a lot more against God than folk have done against us, and if that's how God treated us with the boatload and the ton of sin that we have dished out to Him and snubbed Him, then, then it's not a whole lot to ask to put away these things in our life and our relationship with other people and to treat them with kindness and with gentleness and with love and with compassion and with patience. I'm only impatient when I have to wait. You ever hear that? But we're called to be patient with people, to be gentle. There's a whole lot I could say but gentleness limits your conversation to what's actually going to edify and build up another person. So he says to put these things away because of the gospel. And in the same way, like newborn infants, uh, put on 
the Savior's ways. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Why? That you and I might grow up into salvation. We might grow. We might mature. And that maturity, as you know in the Christian life, is a maturity that looks like Jesus. It's growth in the likeness of Jesus Christ. We're created in the image of God. We're supposed to reflect the character of God. Jesus is the image of God. If you ever want to know what God looks like, well, just look at Jesus. That's what he said. If, if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. There's nothing less to see. God is a spirit, but he, he, he took form and shape when he came in the person of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and it says, like newborn infants. I don't know how long you've spent around babies, but when babies are hungry, they are loud. They're very loud. They scream, they squeal, they squirm, they shout in the middle of the night. You would think somebody was beating them with a stick. You'd think they were crazy. I don't know if you've been woken up in the middle of the night from the shouts and streaks of a hungry baby. But for those who have experienced it, it's a very eye-opening experience. More than any alarm clock you can buy, a baby will get you out of that bed. And it says like newborn babies, but there's something about a baby. Now, it may not be true in 100% of the time, but all the times I've seen it, once a baby gets to their mother's breast, they quiet right down. They're all chilled out because now they're drinking mother's milk. And I said before, and I'll say it again, there's nothing like mother's milk. I don't think there's a drink on the earth better than mother's milk. If you missed it, it's too late. You've got to make it up with some kind of green drink or something. But um, when, when there's mother's milk is dense and it's rich, it's nutritious, there's nothing like it. And um, newborn babies, newborn infants, when they receive their mother's milk, shortly thereafter, when they have satisfied themselves, they, they just are ready to play. They're ready to go to sleep. They're just as calm, cool, and collected. And the Bible says, just like that baby, that's the illustration it gives us, like newborn infants. It says, just like that infant cries and squeals and screams for its mother's milk, just like that baby does, you and I should be that zealous about the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. And it's not at all saying that um, and you and I, it's not saying that Peter is writing to new believers because he uses the terminology of milk. He's saying that, that we and I should never get away from the centrality of, of Scripture. The centerpiece of Scripture is, in fact, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he says at the end of verse 25. This word is the good news that was preached to you. You know, all these things, putting away all this malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and, and living the way we're supposed to live in the likeness of Jesus Christ, it's all they call to a life of love that God has called us to. Love is patient, love is kind, love is uh, joyful, love is, uh, does not make a record of wrongs. It, it takes joy in what's, what's true and not what's evil. It's not envious, it's not proud. Love is the way we're supposed to live. But the thing that motivates us to love is the love of God. 
And so, so whenever you sit before the Word of God, don't ever lose the sense of, of the centrality of Christ in that Word. Christ is how we come to know the love of God in real time. And so this, this longing for pure spiritual milk brings us to a point of application. Spending time in God's Word, longing for the Scripture. And sometimes it may be true of you, as sometimes it's true of me, that you get up in the morning and just don't have time to read the Bible. There's not time and there's too much to do in a day. Um, or there's just not that desire to read the Bible. There's, there's too many names. All those names. There's too many, you know, every single chapter doesn't just have names. There's a couple of passages, I, I, I can dig that, that have a bunch of names. And, but you have to see those things in perspective. That was like God's book of life. It was like God's registry. And the people who first read that, when they read their name there, oh, that, they, were, they didn't want to leave that passage. Like God's got my name in his registry. He's named me. And you've got to know there's a book of life if you believe in Christ and your name is listed. And I bet you you won't have no trouble reading them, those list of names. Looking for your name. Oh, there I am. Come here, look at my name. And so, so you have to, and I have to get past sometimes the, 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 the what, what may be seem, the, the apparent, the apparent boredom. God forbid. But the scripture is not boring. I've said before, and I'll gently say again, a little bit gentler than I said last time, that God's word is not boring. You must be boring if you think God's word is boring. Uh, God's word is not boring. It's, it's the account, it's the historical account of God's redemptive love for you. And so sometimes, it, it, you know, how do you get to a place of longing for it? Like a baby cries for it and screams for it in the middle of the night, looks for it. How do you get to that place? Well, well, suffering sometimes will get you there, won't it? Sometimes when suffering comes into your life, you start, you start seeing that the, the things you've rested yourself on, the foundations you've set up, they're starting to crumble. And you're looking for a more sure footing. Sometimes that can make you run to Scripture because you know there's a sure footing there. But sometimes we don't run there because we say, well, I feel like a hypocrite because now the trouble comes, I'm going to run to God. There's nothing hypocritical about that, folks. <laughs> when, when, the, when the shoe drops and when the floor falls out from underneath you, there's nothing hypocritical about running to Jesus and saying, I need you, Lord. I may not have felt I needed you yesterday, but, but you've done something in my circumstances that have woke me up and made me see I need you. So there's nothing hypocritical about that. Don't let the devil do that lie to you and say, oh, you're a hypocrite. You, how are you going to come to God now? You ain't been to church for four months. And now that, now that you lost your job, now you're going to try to read the Bible. Don't let the devil talk to you like that. Tell him about the God. Tell him about Jesus' blood. That'll shut him right up. And just keep on reading. And saying, God, you know, you have to, you, you and I have to humble ourselves. You know, it's, it's so interesting how in this letter of 1 Peter, there's this constant refrain of being subject, subjecting yourself to the ruling authority, wives subjecting themselves. Uh, employ, employees subjecting themselves. There's this constant call to humility. And then at the end, uh, the elders themselves are called to clothe themselves with humility toward one another as they shepherd the flock. And so there's this call from, from Christ 
down to his under-shepherds, down to his, his, his sheep, and all of us are sheep, but this call to humility, that we have to humbly receive the word of God. Sometimes um, suffering comes as a test, and uh, you, you have to ask yourself, well, what do I do when I'm tested? Do I run to a bottle to drink and get drunk? Do I run to pornography to find some kind of pleasure? Do I run some other place to try to ease my pain? And, and what this, this passage is teaching us is that when, when life makes you cry like a baby, when life makes you scream like someone in trouble, when life makes you squeal like someone hungry, then come to the Scripture. Don't run to these other false medicines. Run to the healing stream of God's Word. Keep running to the Lord Jesus Christ in His Word. And, and, and it says as you do that, you find that there's, there's growth. You start to have growth spurts in your spiritual life. Uh, the Bible says in the book of James, the, the letter right before this one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And, and, and you might say, well, James, you must be drinking something. You're crazy. We mean count it all joy when you meet various trials. How can you say that? Well, James goes on to say, for you know something. You've got to know something. And what you know is that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The whole point of God testing you and bringing tests into your life is to produce steadfastness. It's so that you would glue yourself to Jesus more. It's so that you would stick yourself to Christ more so that you might be steadfast. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, uh, it, it, it makes you mature. It makes you mature and you lack nothing for labor, for the labor God has for you. And so, so don't let the sufferings, that's what Peter wants to aim at his people, don't let the, the, the shrieks and cries that circumstances and suffering bring into your life make you run and stampede all over the place like crazy people. But let it make you long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you can grow up into salvation. God wants us to grow by his character. We see this in, in the second letter that Peter wrote. In the first chapter, he says that God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by sinful desire. That there's something about the promises of God, there's something about the Word of God that makes you grow. It makes you, it says here, participate in the very divine nature. That there's certain qualities about God that can only be said of God. But there's other qualities of God that he, he aims to share with you. He aims that you would reflect those same characteristics. And the way that they develop in us is by the Spirit of God applying the Word of God to our hearts so that we grow up more like Jesus Christ so that when suffering comes down your road again, now you have even more steadfastness to stand fast and say, wait a minute. I've been on the street of suffering before. And I ran to God when I was there. 
And I found when I did that God gave me growth spurts in my spiritual life. And I've become more loving and more joyful and more patient and more peaceful. So I'm going to do the same thing I did then. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Run back to the same word. Run back to the same Christ Jesus and cry out to Him like that baby and say that, God, I'm suffering, I'm in trouble, I'm in trial. And what that communicates to me is that you want me to grow up a little bit more in my faith. That you're not out to get me, you're out to grow me. And so when suffering comes your way, you and I have to have the perspective we have to arm ourselves with the mindset that God wants you to look a little bit more like Jesus than you did yesterday. And that's a wonderful way to look. And, 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 and he ends up by saying, do all of these things if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? I don't know how many of you here cook, but but you can always tell when you go in people's houses whether they can cook or not. You know, you, there's certain smells. You can, just, you, know, you can go in and you can smell. Somebody burnt something. You know, someone, something's, something's burning. Or gas escaping or something. But sometimes you go in and your, your eyes don't water, but your mouth begins to water. You know what I'm saying? When, they, when, they, when, they, when they've taken that steak and they've marinated it all night long, or, or the celery for vegetarians among us. And they've marinated it all night long, and then they got it on the grill, and they've slow cooked it, and it's just kind of seeping through the house. And you can taste it almost with your, with, your, with, your, with your tongue already before you even sit down. And you're so excited. You're salivating. You're like a dog. You know what I mean? You're, you're salivating. You can't wait to sit down and eat. Because the food is good. And, and what it's saying here, you've tasted that the Lord is good. How many people have tasted that the Lord is good? And it's not just saying that you have, you have sent it. You, he has a certain scent. But it's saying that you have, actually, you have actually repented of sin and come to Jesus and found forgiveness in Him. You found cleansing in Him. You found acceptance and welcome in Him. You have found Him to be the, the one you've always been looking for. And that everything that you have ran to in life, your sin, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whatever it is, it never satisfies. It always has a bottom and it leaves you empty. But there's something about Christ that, that, that satisfies. He told the woman at the well, I'll give you living water and you'll stop looking if you get some of that water. And he wasn't talking about the stuff out of the spigot. He was talking about himself. That we were built and made for God. And as the, as the, as the church father said, we only find satisfaction when our heart rests in God. That, um, and so it says that if you've tasted, when it says that Jesus tasted death, it doesn't mean that he just dabbled in it a little bit. It means he felt the full effect of death. He felt the full effect of the wrath of God. And if you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have, if you have tasted the powers of the age to come, the Christ in you, the hope of glory, that when sometimes you see how in your unbelief you were so lost, so wandering, so hopeless, so helpless, but now that you've come to faith in Jesus, when trouble comes, you cry out to God and there's peace. 
that passes all understanding, guarding your heart and mind, keeping you. You tasted the goodness of the Lord. And if that is true of you, then run to Scripture. Feed on it like pure spiritual milk so that you can grow up and turn away from sin. Christians are called to live a life of repentance every single day. That's what Jesus said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Daily take up his cross and follow me. And when Jesus said that, he was thinking of literally being put to death. And a Christian has to have that attitude that I'm willing to even go to death for Jesus Christ. I'm willing to die with him. Like Paul said, whether, whether it's life or death, I, 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 I want Christ to be honored in my body. And that's the attitude that you and I should have. And, and we have that attitude if we remind ourselves how kind God has been to us. It's the kindness of God that leads us to turn away from sin and run after Christ. And that kindness, that gospel has to be something that we meditate on day in and day out. Because it is the thing, as Paul said, that compels him to live no longer for himself, but for the one who died and was raised again on his behalf. Let's pray to God. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you that your decision, your determination in our life is that we would grow up to look like Jesus Christ. And you have given us, Lord, the means of grace. You've given us the scripture. You've given us uh, your spirit. You've given us the sacraments. You've given us prayer. There's all kinds of things that you have given us so that we would grow up. And that, that infant that cried is, is a picture of prayer, which we do now another means of grace. And Father, we pray that You'd work in our hearts even where we're potentially lazy, even where we're potentially unmotivated, even where we're distracted and so busy that You'd carve away time for us to spend at the feet of Jesus like newborn babies, letting all that in our circumstances makes us cry like a baby cause us to long for the Scripture and for the Spirit's work in us, making us grow up to look like Jesus so that we can go right back to those circumstances with renewed wisdom and renewed character and be able to work through and maneuver through the chaos that we often have to handle with the mind of Jesus Christ. And God, give us grace to turn away from sin, to be people who are big on repentance, quick to confess, quick to turn, realizing that there's no, there's no good result in sin. Father, work in our hearts to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.